Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hey, what's going on? This is Billy Newman. I'm a photographer. You can see some of my work at billynewmanphoto.com or hang out here on my YouTube page and check out some of these, uh, these photographs that I've uh, made a few videos about. Today's photograph is uh, an image that was taken on film. It was of, really, this is kind of an interesting one, and this is one I wanted to talk about. This is from a real simple kit, and it's probably something that would cost less than $150 in equipment overall to make this type of image. Now, that comes from, this photograph was made using an old used film camera with a, a regular 50 millimeter lens on it. I bet you could go to a thrift store and find something like this for really a pretty inexpensive price. And there's an amazing amount of quality you can get from it. But this uh, this daisy and grass field was photographed really just right next to and beside a curb on 18th Street in my town. It was kind of interesting how it was, but there's a, a nice soft evening light that was coming in low against the horizon, backlighting um, this little patch of grass. It's just a, a little patch of lawn that had a, a handful of daisies blooming in it. So I pulled up real close with the 50 millimeter at 1.8, and I photographed this image on film of these daisies in the soft evening light of the early springtime. Really cool image, and uh, I just kind of liked the mood of it. But it was kind of cool to be able to talk about how inexpensively and how effectively you can use equipment that's still available. You can see more of my work at billynewmanphoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. Thinking about a couple of the photo things that I've been trying to put up. I just posted one earlier. It was a backpacking photo that I'd taken uh, when we were out in the Wallawa Mountains, up in the Eagle Cap Wilderness. And that's a really cool spot. I've talked about it a ton of times before, but uh, but it really is a, a special location as it goes, even for Oregon, which is really blessed with a lot of very nice, very approachable, photographable locations. But the Wallawa Mountains have always been uh, something that stood out to me as one of my favorites. And I've heard that that region has a lot of stuff like that, like as you move further over into Idaho, into the Sawtooth Mountains, into Hell's Canyon. There's a lot of, of really peculiar uh, spectacles to go see in that area. And it's really interesting how it's laid out. I, I appreciate it. And I loved kind of getting to go through the whole area. But the Wallow Mountains specifically have something kind of special to them, especially when you get up into the Alpine area and you get away from people. Even as it goes, when you get to, to Joseph, you're significantly away from people. But as you leave and kind of push in further into the Eagle Cap Wilderness, uh, the number of people just drops down to less than a dozen by far. And, uh, and even less than that, you know, as you move into the more remote areas, it's sort of interesting how there's a threshold of where people are. Like if it's under so many miles of a hike, there's going to be a lot more people there. It's just sort of, uh, evolution. Maybe it's, uh, or, you know, it's, it's just, uh, natural selection, right? It's, uh, it's where people would naturally select their interests to be closer to the main road than, uh, than further and more competitive at a farther distance. And so uh, it's interesting. Like if you go to a lake that's six miles in, uh, there's going to be more people there than if you went to the lake that was nine miles in. It's just people kind of pull out first or they pull out to the, to the route or the trail. It's going to not be as much, it seems like. Um, but also on top of that, really, and I blame myself for this specifically, uh, it's way busier now. 
this decade, just generally, it seems like the REI or the the whole outdoor industry, this whole outdoor media industry, outdoor adventure industry, it just seems like it's double what it or it's 20% up from what it was a decade ago, if that might make sense. And the reason that I would say that is it just seems like there were so many more people filling the parking lot of the area than there were in the years past. And, you know, the reason that I say that and the reason why that's that's qualified information, maybe, is that it's after Labor Day now. What the trick used to be when I was doing a lot of the the, the photo trips that I would do uh, as I kind of travel east from here and kind of do a big loop in the fall to take photos is uh, after Labor Day, what you really notice is a lot of these state parks, a lot of the managed locations where there's a park host or something like that, those all get shut down for the winter. It's closed off, unless it's like a bigger, higher volume national park kind of area. But all of these remote locations like the Wallawa Wilderness or the Alvor Desert that we went to, these were places where there would likely be no people, especially no people if it were off hours, off season sort of stuff, sort of visitation. Uh, but what we noticed when we were there is that the parking lot was filled up. Like, you know, it was 50, 60, 70, 80 cars deep. They all just kind of park in a line up above the trailhead. And that's, you know, you kind of visually just are impacted by, wow, there must be this many people from all of these cars up in the mountains right now. And in the past, like when I was there in 2011, and then again in 2012, and in 13, there would be no car, like there was five cars in the parking lot. It was me. I pulled up right to the very front. And uh, I mean, and even when we went this last time, it was a midweek trip. It wasn't uh, it wasn't, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And even still with that midweek trip, there, there was more traffic up there. So we went to Arnoid Lake, I believe. And uh, that was an area that was, I think, like six miles in. So a little bit of what I was talking about before about natural selection of the hike you're going to go on that day. Uh, six miles was is less of a hike. I think the other one, Ice Lake, is nine miles. Maybe the other one is... 10, 12, 13 miles, you know, somewhere in there. But it just kind of progressively goes on from about six. There's about one every two miles or so. If You know, if you kind of push, you know, you got so many more miles after that. There's this next one. So on and so forth, as you can imagine. But a lot of people go up to this lake for like a lunch day hike, which sounds like a blast. Not having to actually carry all the heavy stuff with you or, you know, all the equipment, all the overnight stuff that you'd have to deal with. Um but it was fine. It was uh, it was cool. We went up to Arnoid Lake. We camped up there for a night and we did a lot of photo stuff. But it was kind of tough because I think I mentioned on that last podcast where uh, the we were prepared, but the weather would kind of get twisted on us more often than really what I wanted it to. Uh, but the weather would kind of spin out on us a little bit. So the first night we were there, it was nice and decent in temperature and weather as we were hiking up to the location where we were going to camp. There's only one other couple camping up there. I think it was like a mom and a daughter team that were, uh, they were camped out at a site. And then, so we pulled away from them on the lake and, you know, it's just the whole lake to us, which is really cool. It was fun. Uh, so we shot around there for a while, but there's rain that picked up. It was probably one of the first rains of the season. It, well, at least for me or for us or, or for that area. But uh, it seemed like it kind of built up over the mountains. You know, like how you see storm systems kind of build up over the mountaintops sometimes. It seems sort of like it was that. Like it was some kind of weather pattern that was about the Wallows. It seemed like it was nice everywhere else, but it just seemed like it wasn't very nice there. So uh, we camped there for the night. We got through some rain. It was nice the next morning. We took a lot of photos that morning, a lot of photos through the day. We kind of walked around the lake. You know, it was interesting. I guess way back before it was, uh, before it was a wilderness area, 
uh, before whatever kind of legislation went into effect in the 60s. I think was it the Nixon era, you know, when Nixon had just gotten in and what was it, like 68 and they, they pushed for the Wilderness Act or the Wild and Scenic Act or probably there's a bunch of stuff before that. But from way back, like a hundred years ago, like before these regulations existed on what could and couldn't happen in wilderness areas, um, I guess it was a bot area next to that lake and they had built uh, like six or seven cabins up there. Like they just cut down wood and built these cabins. So you go up there and I think they're still owned as private property. It was sort of grandfathered in once uh, the the whole wilderness thing was established. There's a lot of those uh, private land facilities that were grandfathered into that system because they had already existed there. So these are all like undeveloped, unmaintained things that I guess you could you could pay someone to to hike up all the way there and then camp there if you'd want to. They seemed a little dilapidated to me, though. I don't know if I'd want to put out some cash for that after especially after hiking all day I might as well just take my tent or hammock or sleeping pad or something you know if I'm doing that but it was cool to go check out and it was uh it was kind of cool to, to spot something a little different up there but it was really fun you know honestly I don't like the cabins because really what I want to go to the Wallawas for is the wilderness experience is the getting away from the cabins the private property the signs that say you can't go here someone else owns this sort of thing i'm trying to get away from that and go to public land or go to places where i have access where i get to do things and so if it's in civilization like downtown and i see private property or whatever it might be uh or you know this is ours it's not yours i say all right fine that's okay because that's the that's the negotiation we've made here in civilization but when we go way out when we've hiked in miles and miles under our own discipline and accord to get somewhere to spend time there. And then there's some sign, some indication that we're not supposed to be there or we're not supposed to be a part of it or we're not supposed to whatever. We're supposed to respect their private property. And it's a big open field. That is a place that everyone gets to hike to. That's just a big lake. That's a tourist destination. No, I'm not respecting that rule. I'm going wherever I'm going to do whatever. That's your business to get a camp host to discipline, not mine. Um, so that might be a lake that I don't go to anymore or that we won't really hike out to again. I think mostly, you know, photos were fun. It was fine other than like uh, not really getting the the light and the opportunity, you know, running into a storm, all the rest of it. Um, that kind of took away a little bit. But really, there's, there's just not as many, um, how do you say, like priority landscape features at that at that location there's a pretty lake it's very nice it's very alpine looking in uh you know in its presentation but it just didn't really have one of those those triple a titles to photograph when you get there there's not like a lake and then this really cool perspective of a mountain it's just sort of a big ridge that runs along uh this this glacial lake cool really pretty beautiful shouldn't take away from it but uh but when your goal is just kind of to get to a specific kind of thing and then get a photo in the can, as they'd say in the biz, or, you know, when you, you get to finish it, it's done, it's already locked off, and it's it's already captured, you got what you want, then you can move on. Uh, it just didn't really feel like we got there at our location in the Wallowa Mountains, but it was super fun being there, it was cold at night, though, man, made mornings bad, that's the thing that sucks about morning photos, at night, you get the sun to heat up the the earth all day, and then you get to go out and take photos of it. In the morning, though, it's just been cold the whole time, especially as we move into fall, as we move into winter, like that cold just really starts to peak, it seems like. Um, or, you know, we're getting really close to the freeze. I'm sure it was already freezing up there above the alpine level, like when we were 7,500 feet, something like that. So that's a lot. 
or you know, from coming down here. Oh man, in the altitude, not altitude sickness, but altitude fatigue. It just drew on me. Marina too, she really noticed it. But you know, as you go around, it's like one o'clock that next afternoon, you're just trying to you're just trying to have energy to sit and eat lunch, it seemed like. It seemed like, you know, if you really pumped up and you really got to hiking or something, you could struggle through it. But just that that native energy that you would have to go do something, it just was really zapped. That might be just from sleeping on rocks for four days beforehand and then trying to hike or or something like that. But it's but it's it's weird. I don't know. I remember a couple other times, you know, as you kinda if you backpack and you climb up an elevation, it just can be really fatiguing. So we made it through it. I posted a photo up to Instagram today. It's hitting uh, Facebook and Twitter and the whatnot this afternoon. Uh, I'm also trying to run through and find a good video clip, like a good behind-the-scenes video clip of us kind of walking through or running around up in the Wallowas as we were hiking. And I know I have a bunch of those of uh, of us backpacking and trying to put in some work to get to a spot to take some cool photos. So. You can check out more information at billynewmanphoto.com. You can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it if you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Billy Newman photo. So I wanted to talk about the training stuff that I've been doing. I think I'd mentioned I had mentioned I had done a good bit of work with, uh, you know, other programs in the past, but this is really the first time that I've gotten into uh, spending time learning specifically about some of the, the, the features and the controls in Logic Pro uh, and now Logic Pro 10.5. Um, so what I had done is uh, gone to now what's called LinkedIn Learning. LinkedInLearning.com, huh? Um, there, there used to be a website called Lynda.com, and Lynda.com was these uh, these screencast uh, video tutorials of how to use different types of software and, and how how to be trained. You know, just training for for different types of, um, of most of the time computer related skills. Uh, so I've used that service for um, a number of things over the years. Uh, specifically, I think Chris Orwig's Lightroom tutorial is probably like a standard for a lot of photographers that have been interested in uh, in learning about photography editing. And so all of those courses that have existed over the years uh, have a lot of a lot of good information in them. Um, but so I went back to uh, to what would be Lynda.com now, as it has been purchased by LinkedIn uh, through Microsoft. It's now called uh, LinkedIn learning right on, huh? Uh, so LinkedIn learning has all of the old Linda videos, including all the updates to the videos that they're still continuing to produce. Uh, so I went on and I I tried to find some training videos about logic pro 10. Uh, there's a number of videos, uh, for like essential training for logic pro 10, but there's nothing because now this new update logic pro 10.5 is really only maybe two weeks old or something. Uh, it's uh there's no there's just no new video training established for it so i think for logic pro 10.4 there's a full essential training video that was produced by uh was it scott hirsch a music producer out of new york and uh, he just kind of goes through uh 
the the controls and the the system and stuff and you get you get a good feel of uh like how to how to make changes how to use different features how to use the mixer versus uh like the linear tracking system you know how to use different controls and stuff a lot of the stuff is is similar if you've used GarageBand like I was mentioning or another digital audio workstation that does multi-tracking in the past um, but it was cool yeah learning like some techniques about how to apply uh different different compress or how to make the settings of a compressor do more specifically the types of things that I'm wanting to do in a mix uh, I think was some good information for me to be learning about through the, the Logic Pro uh, training stuff. Also, in addition to that, if you don't, the, so LinkedIn Learning is a paid service. You can get a, a one month of free trial of that too, which uh, I'm taking advantage of at this moment to get uh, to get some new information in. But what you can do is go to YouTube and look up similar uh, similar training videos. And there's a lot of people, a lot of music producers out there that have done their own screencasts of kind of walking through different services or different techniques that these digital audio workstations provide. So I was, I was looking at a guy, uh, guy's website, I think it was whylogicprorules.com, and that had a lot of good training videos on it too. Uh, he had a lot of information about how different pieces of it work and uh, just how to how to make use of a lot of the techniques that you'd have to apply in a certain piece of the software to make it more effective. And I thought that was really cool. I, I really appreciated some of the stuff that he'd done. And Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on BillyNewmanPhoto.com. A few new things up there. Some stuff on the homepage. Some good links to other, other outbound sources. Some, some links to books. Some links to some podcasts. Links to some blog posts. All pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.